How many of you guys have either seen or been part of a miracle? See a few hands? Alright, good. There's a lot of people that say that they, they don't see miracles or they've, they've never been part of anything like that. A, a something that you can only explain because of God. There, there are a lot of people around the world who do believe in Jesus. And I've heard, probably I've heard a lot more stories about, I mean I've seen my own miracles in my life, but I've heard a lot more stories about miracles in third world countries. And my guess is that it's because people who live in the third world depend on God more than people who live in a more developed country where they can get their own groceries and have their own jobs. And you know we've got plenty of money to make sure that we have food to eat and clothes to wear and a house to live in, that kind of thing. And people who don't know where that's going to come from from day to day probably do a whole lot more praying than people who know where their food's coming from. But uh, that's one possibility. But there are a lot of people around the world who believe in Jesus and who have seen amazing things happen. Of course, a lot of people believe different things about Jesus. Some of them aren't true. A lot of people like to make their own idol of Jesus, so to speak. That they create a Jesus in their own mind and they attribute Him as God, even though that's not what the real Jesus is like. The Mormons, for example, they say that Jesus was the brother of Lucifer. That basically the devil and Jesus are in the same family. And um, the Muslims say that Jesus wasn't anything to do with God. He was just a human prophet. There was nothing really all that special about him. A lot of people will tell you that these days in our culture, a lot of people will say that Jesus likes everybody just the way they are doesn't matter who you are or what you do. doesn't matter if you're Hitler. It doesn't matter who you are. That, 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 that Jesus really doesn't care and He doesn't care what you do with your life. And there are even a lot of church people who will tell you that the only difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is basically the luck of the draw. That, uh, that we're all basically the same and one day God will toss a bunch of people into heaven and He'll toss a bunch of people into hell and that will somehow magically change the insides, and so the people living in heaven will all of a sudden be righteous and holy, and the people living in hell will be terrible, nasty, whatever. And so there, there are lots of people that have different ideas about who God is and who Jesus is. And, and I think Satan himself seems to show more reverence for the real Jesus Christ than a lot of people do these days. I mean, the demons might be the the enemy of Christ. I mean, they are opposed to Jesus, but at least they show fear and obedience when Jesus shows up and speaks. When Jesus casts them out, they're pleading. Please don't cast us into the pit. Put us in those pigs. I mean, the, the, the demons, the Satan doesn't fight with God because God would destroy him. Satan isn't even close to being equal with God. He's just another creation. And if God wanted to wipe him out this second, he would. He could lock him away forever. And that's what he's going to do someday, but he hasn't yet. And we've talked about why that is before, and I won't, that's a different topic for a different day. But the, the point is, is that, you know, James 2.19 says, what Jesus, about the demons, says, you believe, he's talking about us, you believe that God is one, well, and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble with fear. So even the, the proclaimed spiritual enemies of God tremble in His presence. They know He's real. They trust that He has the power to do what He wants. And they, they are in fear of the Lord. And, and so there are a lot of people who 
don't give God the same respect. They've, they've either chosen not to believe in Jesus at all, or to believe that Jesus is some, you know, to a, a Jesus of their own making, someone that they imagined up that these are, this is what Jesus is like, and they make it up themselves, who doesn't really exist in real life. And, and then there are some who admit that what the Bible says about Jesus is technically true, that there, there was a Jesus in history, but they choose not to submit their lives to him and, or to trust in him or to turn away from their sins. And, and then finally, there are those who believe in the real Jesus of the Bible and who not only believe in him, but who trust in him and honor him with their lives and they love him and they have a relationship with him. But it seems like those people tend to be a minority group in our culture these days. And I guess you might say that the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's what the Bible says about it. That there are a lot of people that are opposed to God. They're living their own lives and they don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. Or they're willing to you know, pretend that Jesus just likes them just the way they are and they don't feel a need to change at all and, and they are happy living in sin and doing wicked things. But there's a few people and the narrow is the way and there's a few people who find the way to the real Jesus and have a relationship with Him. Obviously, God has made people free to choose whatever they want to believe. I mean, we have the ability to decide whether we want to believe in Jesus and follow Him and trust and obey Him or to reject Him and rebel against Him. We've been given that freedom. And, and it's, it's, but it's still God's universe. This is We live in God's world. This world is His property. And so everybody who continues in their sin, everybody who chooses to, to rebel against God, there will be hell to pay for it, literally. And, and those people who go down that path away from God they will be getting their just desserts. I mean, we don't like to think about it, but when somebody rejects the King of Kings, especially after He has sacrificed so much to save them and to make every opportunity for them to have a, a new life and to be turned around and, re, and made new, after He's given all that, they, they not only deserve to be separated from His kingdom, but even if they were allowed in heaven, even if Jesus said, you know what, come on in anyway. I don't care what you did. I, I don't, you can be that way. Come on in. Even if they were allowed in heaven, they would end up wrecking the place in their continued rebellion. If God allowed sinners into heaven, they'd wreck heaven. And that's why He casts them out and puts them away. And so, of course, none of us want to see anybody wind up in hell. Hell is a nasty, terrible place. There's nothing good. God made everything... God, All things that are good... God made them. Anything that you've ever truly enjoyed and been blessed with in your life came from the Lord. And so, to be separated from God in hell is to be separated from everything good. And I don't, I'm sure none of you like to think of anybody having to suffer that for eternity. I mean, the people who, who go there deserve it. Yeah, because they were sinful and they did evil things. I mean, we, Hitler is getting his just due today. But wouldn't have been better if Hitler had converted before he killed all those people and had lived a righteous life and did wonderful things. That's what we'd like to see to happen. We'd like to see everybody turned around. I don't want to think of anybody having to go to hell. I want to see them turn around and see their lives made new and holy. And, and, and God, who made us all and gave us life, the, our Creator, 
especially doesn't want to see people reject His good blessings and His grace and, and to destroy themselves with sin. God doesn't want to see His creations, His children, turn away from Him and be destroyed. So, what do we do? How do we get people to see the truth and to turn around before it's too late? If you were in God's shoes, how would you get people to believe in you? What would you do to, 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 to get them to see the truth of your love and your kindness and your goodwill towards them and, and their, your, you know, your good purposes for their lives? How would you get them to see that? For, for all the people who, who didn't put their faith in you, how would you try to change their minds about you? if you were God. I know you're not, but if you were, how would you try to get them to, to turn around and to see the reality of what life is all about? I'll admit there have been plenty of times when I wanted God to reveal Himself to somebody in a, a way that I had thought of. You know, like to do something supernatural right there while I'm talking to Him so they could see. You know, this is the God I'm talking about. This is what He does. And I've, you know, I've seen miracles. I've, I've heard lots of stories about other people's miracles. And... and and they're not really talked about much these days. In the, so many people just ignore the mirac- people who don't want to believe in God. They ignore mirac- miracles as just hoaxes or or unexplained phenomenon. And, and there have been plenty of bad apples in the church down through the years who have used the pulpit to serve themselves. You know, you've heard their names before. There have been famous televangelists who have you know pretended to be real only to steal money from the church or to you know to to pretend to do healings so that people would continue to donate to them that kind of thing you've heard of that nasty stuff happening within the church and but there's this there's this interesting account of uh this is several days after Jesus was crucified and we know what happened and the disciples weren't showing a whole lot of faith because they hadn't seen the resurrected Christ yet. We know Jesus came back from the dead, but they hadn't seen Him yet. So in spite of everything they'd seen during His ministry, they'd spent three years with Him. He'd been preaching and teaching and doing miracles and, and prophesying His own death and His resurrection. And, and all of that that they heard and all that, 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 that they saw, they still were hiding away. They locked themselves in a room and they're hiding away because they didn't want somebody to come kill them too. And so they're, they're behind closed and locked doors. And what they didn't know at this point is that Jesus had already risen from the grave. And he had, just like he'd talked about. And so they're, they're locked up in this room and Jesus found them there because you can't hide from Jesus. And then Jesus does His own version of the Star Trek transporter thing and He beams Himself into the room. He, he goes through the locked door and He just appears among them and and this is how the story goes. This is from John chapter 20. It starts at verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them. He just appeared. <laughs> that would probably scare the daylights out of you. But He showed up and he's, He said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. 
If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Now that's a pretty good way to get people's attention. I mean, the disciples were cowering in fear. Their faith had all kind of dwindled out the door. And, and, and this is a way to open their eyes to the truth of, that of Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He's who He said He was, right? But, but one of the guys missed out on that visit. One of the disciples, Thomas, must have been out picking up the pizza or something because he wasn't there when all the other disciples were there and Jesus showed up and he didn't get to see Jesus' miracle arrival where he just materialized in the room and, and breathed on them and did this amazing thing and they saw him resurrected. And that continues on in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord! But he replied, Unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands and put my finger into the wounds from the nails and put my hand in his side, I will never believe it. So Thomas was saying, There's no way I'm going to, unless I see him in front of me and I can touch his wounds and put my hands where he was actually, I saw him get killed, I'm not going to believe it. So Thomas said he needed physical proof. He needed something he could touch and see and feel and experience. He wasn't willing to believe unless Jesus Himself showed up to prove that He wasn't still a corpse in a tomb. So Jesus decided to show Him the physical proof. And eight days later, it says, verse 26, eight days later the disciples were again together in the house. And Thomas this time was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus again did that transportation thing and Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you and then he said to Thomas because he knew what was going on in Thomas's head put your finger here and examine my hands extend your hand and put it in my side do not continue in your unbelief but believe and Thomas did that and he replied to him my Lord and my God and Jesus said to him have you believed because you've seen me Blessed are the people who have seen, who have not seen, and yet still believe. And I think it's interesting that Jesus did. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, I won't believe in Jesus unless he shows up at my door and presents himself. And, and this time Jesus was willing to, to give Thomas the proof that he needed. But then he also kind of chastised him a little bit and said, Why didn't you have stronger faith? Why didn't you believe in me that, that your brethren told you the truth. You think they were all lying to you? And there are a lot of people who said, who have kind of put qualifications on their belief. It's like, I would believe if blank. You know, if Jesus showed up, if I saw a miracle, if, if something happened, then I would believe. If Jesus showed up at their door, if He healed a physical problem, if He did some kind of miracle that defies, defied physical laws that they, you know, that we're used to, and then if something like that happened, then they'd actually believe. I've heard a lot of people say that. And there are quite a few people who have abandoned the faith, who have walked away from the church because something bad happened in their life that they didn't think should have happened. They lost a spouse or one of their children died or, or, or they had some other terrible event that they blamed God for. And therefore, they made the odd decision to no longer believe in the God that they think injured them somehow kind of a weird way of thinking but you know if i punched you in the face and you decided not to believe in me anymore that's kind of what people are doing to, to choose that god doesn't exist because they say god did something bad to them um that's the same kind of logic now there's there do seem to be quite a few people or, or quite a few times in scripture 
where people came to repentance because God did some miracle work. I mean, it's not like God doesn't ever do miracles. He's done a lot of, of, of these amazing things. The Bible is filled with miracles. It's filled with prophecy, fulfilled prophecies. It's filled with personal visits from God and the same kind of things that continue today. God still does miracles. He still comes and, and meets people where they're at. And, and there have been so many times when those miracles don't seem to do much for people who have already made up their minds not to accept the truth. You've probably heard the story of Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal, where they had this competition to see whose God was real. And the, and the prophets of Baal built an altar, and they, you know, the, the, the contest rules were basically, we build altars, and whichever God sends down fire to burn up the sacrifice is the real God. And whoever's God doesn't, there's not a real God. And so the prophets of Baal went first, they built the altar, they cut up the cow, they put it on there, and then they started praying and they started screaming and they started nothing was happening. They started dancing around and cutting themselves. They did they, they just did everything they could to try to get their God to pay attention, and nothing happened. And then Elijah goes and he cuts up his bull and puts it on the on the altar, and then he douses it with water. He has people come and dump so much water on it that it's that it's surrounding in a in a pool around the sacrifice. And then he says, God, show them who's real. And God sends fire down from the sky that burns up the, the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the water. I mean, it just burns everything. And so all the people, the regular people who are in audience of this, of this contest, they bow down and they say, God is the real God. We're going to, you know, we're going to give praise to the real God of the Jews and worship him because he's obviously real. But apparently the 400 prophets don't do that. They, and they're still in their rebellion, refuse to submit to this God that they've seen send down fire from heaven and burn up this altar because later they're executed. Because they refuse to submit their lives, Elijah says, well, put them to death. If they're going to continue to worship a God who obviously doesn't exist, we can't allow that in our society. So that's, that's one story of people who who they know the facts, but they refuse to accept them. You know, if you remember the story when the Israelites came into the promised land and they went to the city of Jericho and God told them to march around the city and basically He was going to destroy it. And they did that. And, and the people of Jericho, before they got here, the people, the, they sent spies. Remember, the Israelites sent spies in there and they got kind of caught in the city and they needed to escape. And so Rahab the prostitute Said we've they she brought them into her home and said we've everybody here has heard your stories we are scared to death of you Israelites because we've heard what what God had did for you we've heard about the miracles that He allowed you to come in here and defeat all the people who opposed you that He's given you all this protection and strength and everybody in town is scared to death that you guys are going to come here and wipe us out too. And so the whole town had heard about the miracles of God. They knew about what had happened to the Israelites. But apparently only Rahab and her was, was willing to actually submit to God. And do, she helped out those disciples, the, those Israelites, and helped them to escape the city. And they agreed that they would make sure when the city got sacked that she would, her and her family would be allowed to escape without being killed. And so, and that's what happened. And apparently it was just her that had the, enough faith to actually submit to God and have trust in Him and help out His followers. And so it was only her and her family and everybody else was destroyed when the city was destroyed. 
So there's a whole town that had heard about the miracles of God and heard about what He was doing for the Israelites, but refused to submit. And, and when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, there were lots of witnesses, lots of people were there, and they saw Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus got out of the tomb. And they unwrapped him and he was alive. And so lots of people saw that miracle happen. And, and here's uh, John 12 talks about it. Uh, John 12 verse 9 says, Now a large crowd of Judeans learned that Jesus was there. And so they came, they, they had heard about this miracle or seen the miracle. And it says, So they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to kill Lazarus too. For on account of him, many of the Jewish people from Jerusalem were going away and believing in Jesus. There were so there were plenty of witnesses. Lots of people saw this happen or heard about this happening, and they started. And regular people started to come and follow after Jesus because they realized that this was a, a, an important person at the very least. But the priests weren't debating the facts. They weren't saying no. We don't. It was just a hoax. It was just a. You know, something that happened. They weren't debating whether Lazarus was actually raised from the dead or not. They were just trying to bury the facts. They wanted to put Lazarus back in the grave so people would stop following Jesus. And, and that's really a popular tactic these days that uh, some people have done everything they can do to remove every vestige of Christianity out of public life, to get him out of the, the you know, government, get him out of schools, get him out of public, any, you know, public businesses, to try to get every vestige of Christianity out of the culture that they can because they, in spite of the facts of Jesus and the reality of His existence and who He is as the Son of God, they, people feel threatened by reminders of their own immorality. When you, I mean, even if you're not preaching at them, the fact that you're living for God yourself reminds them that they're not. And so people don't like being reminded of their own guilt. And so they try to bury it. They try to push it aside like the Pharisees did. They wanted to kill Lazarus and get it out of there. Not because they didn't believe that he was raised from the dead, but because they, they didn't like the fact that Jesus was getting their followers. And, and you know, even many of the Pharisees knew that Jesus did miracles. They, they saw stuff happen. They, they knew that he taught with authority. But instead of accepting the evidence for what it was and saying, you know, we've seen these things. We can't explain them away. We should really reconsider our attitude here. We should really start listening to this guy who preaches the truth, who, who quotes the Scriptures and, and, and teaches with authority and who does these miracles. Maybe we should rethink our lives. Instead of doing that, they attributed the works of Jesus to Satan. Instead of facing the facts, they tried to just push it all out of their heads. Matthew 12, verse 22 says, Then they brought him to a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. This is Jesus. Jesus healed him so that he could speak and see. All the crowds, I mean crowds, saw this stuff happen. They were amazed and they said, could this be the son of David? I mean, the regular people said, this is the Messiah. This is the one the prophecy talks about. This, is, this has got to be him. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, he does not cast out demons except by the power of Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. So they said, Sure, he does some miracles. Sure, he preaches with authority. Sure, but he's all doing all this by the power of the enemy of God. I mean, it was totally illogical, but they didn't want to submit themselves to God, and so they did everything they could to fight against them. They would rather give credit to the devil for miracles than to give up their power and prestige and humble themselves in repentance. Not only that, they plotted to kill Jesus. They said, let's just kill him and get him out of the way. This guy who's totally godly 
and totally righteous and does everything good, let's wipe him out. They didn't accuse him of any crime. You know, when they had him, he came to the temple and taught all the time. He was amongst the people. They didn't come and arrest him in daylight and put him through a fair and open trial where they could actually present real facts because they didn't have any real evidence against him. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus so he would stop upsetting the balance of power. And eventually they achieved their goal of killing him, but it didn't quite result in the way they'd expected because the balance of power was still way out of whack. And one of the one of the craziest examples is when the Roman soldiers who guarded Christ's tomb, who saw, you know, they felt the earthquake and they passed out with fear, and they, you know, they went and they told the Jewish leaders what happened. They they gave them the account because they lost their prisoner, even though he was dead in a tomb. They knew that if they lost their prisoner that they were supposed to guard over, they would lose their lives too. So they went and they told the priests what happened, what they saw. And the priests didn't cry out and say, we killed the wrong person. They didn't fall down in repentance and say, oh my goodness, he's come back. He's the Messiah that was prophesied. They, they, they didn't even investigate. They just bribed the soldiers to keep their mouths shut. They got the report from the, from the Roman soldiers that Jesus was alive. Who, who really don't? The Roman soldiers didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care who he was. They were just reporting the facts. And, the, and instead of falling on their knees in repentance because they'd screwed up royally, the priests just bribed the soldiers to keep their mouths shut. And and it wasn't just while Jesus was around. After Christ's ascension, Peter healed a paralyzed man, and people saw it. And and so the religious leaders arrested Peter. And they said, stop doing this. Stop preaching for Jesus. And, and so even though a lot of people might tell you that they just want proof, they just want to see some evidence before they'll believe in Jesus, the problem isn't really a lack of clear evidence or a lack of proof. It's a hard heart. Everything around us declares God's reality. The heavens declare His glory. I mean, everything God made, the, the complexity of our universe, the existence of our universe, we know, scientifically, we know that nothing comes from nothing. If there's nothing, things don't just appear magically. We know that scientifically. It's testable. It's never happened. Never in the, in the history of the universe, as far as we've been able to test, has something come out of nothing. So the idea of a big bang of, of, the, of the whole universe appearing for no reason is ludicrous. But the world believes that because they don't want to believe in a God who can speak something from nothing. The, the, the fact that life itself exists. We know scientifically that life doesn't just start. We've tested it over and over and over and have never been able to reproduce life coming from non-life. It has never happened in the history of all humanity doing scientific experiments. So we know scientifically, that life doesn't just appear. But people believe that it has because they refuse to believe in a God who can create life. Who can create intelligent life. Who can create amazingly complex life with a DNA-coded structure that reproduces itself. You know, something that just doesn't happen. That's never happened scientifically. So, there's plenty of evidence, but people have chosen to close their minds to the truth and ignore the evidence because... They want to cling to their own sin. They don't want to be reminded of their guilt. They don't want to be reminded that there is a God who requires a certain kind of life from us. They want to live their own life, and so they refuse to believe the facts that are before us. 
You remember the story about the rich man and Lazarus that when uh, they both gone to the grave and, and the rich Jesus tells the, the rich man wanted just a drop of water on him because the rich man had gone to hell and Lazarus was on the other side and he saw him. He's like, just let him put a drop of water on my tongue and said, sorry, just, we can't reach you. You're separated. There's a big chasm. And, and he said, well, then send Lazarus to go talk to my brothers and tell them that they need to turn their lives around or else they're going to wind up where I am. And, and this is what Abraham said because he's down there with him. He says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through the one rise from the dead. They have the Scriptures. They've got a world full of evidence. And I've sent my prophets before me to tell the whole world, this is the truth. This is the way you need to live your life. This, if you live your life righteous, you're going to be okay. If you live your life evil, you're going to wind up in hell. So live your life righteous. And, be, and, and people don't want to do that. And instead of listening to the truth and being persuaded by the evidence that they've got, Abraham points out the truth. It doesn't matter how many miracles you do, people who don't want to change their lives are not going to change their lives. It's up to people to choose which way they're going to go. You can't prove somebody. There's a difference between proof and persuasion. You can have all the proof in the world, but unless a person decides to accept it, they're going to go their own way. And so, even you know, many of God's own chosen people grew callous about the amazing miracles that, they, that He had showed them. Remember when God gave Moses, when He sent him to go rescue His people out of Israel, out of Egypt. He said, well, how will they know that I'm really from God and not just some strange guy saying I'm here to rescue you from Egypt? And God gave him a couple of little miracle tricks. He said, throw your staff on the ground. It'll turn into a snake. And he did it. He said, stick your hand in your cloak and pull it out. And it was leprous. And he said, stick it back in and pull it out. And it was healed again. He said, you show them that. You know, and he gave them these kind of, he said, if they don't believe that, then take some water out of the Nile and dump it on the ground and it'll turn into blood. You show them that and they'll believe I sent you. So God was willing to, to, to use miracles to show people. And, and he did that. And there was still some arguments, but eventually he convinced them, no, really, because they sent ten plagues against, because Pharaoh didn't want to believe. And so Moses, God did, but told Moses to, to call down the ten plagues. So one after another, he turned the Nile to, to blood. He turned all the water to blood. He sent gnats and flies. There were um, frogs and darkness and boils. And then finally, the angel of death that killed all the firstborn. And so you would think that that would be enough to convince any skeptic to put their trust in God. And not only that, but there was the parting of the Red Sea when the Israelites finally got out of Egypt. They got caught at the Red Sea and the army of Egypt was closing down on them. And so Moses told, God told Moses to part the Red Sea and he did. And they escaped. There was walls of water on either side and they escaped through dry ground across the Red Sea. And then the water, as the Egyptian army closed in on them, God closed the water down and killed them all. I mean, they saw amazing miracles. He did the, the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day that led them every single day. God was always there. His presence was always there. When it was moving, they followed. When it stopped, they set up camp. And He turned bitter waters to sweet. He kept people's clothes from, from wearing out. His shoes from wearing out. For 40 years, they could wear the same clothes and shoes without getting worn out. He fed them manna from heaven. He sent them quail when they wanted meat. When, and... And with all that overwhelming evidence, miracles happening right before them, 
they still whined and they still complained and they still bickered and they still fought against God and they still rebelled and they still rejected. I mean, how much does God have to do to get people to have some faith? In fact, it was their total lack of trust that kept a whole generation of Israelites from ever entering the promised land. Numbers 14, I'll read this kind of quick. At verse 26 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, This is God speaking. How long must I bear with this evil congregation that murmurs against me? I've heard the complaints of the Israelites and they murmured against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I will surely do to you just what you have spoken in my hearing. Your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness and all of those who were numbered according to your full number from 20 years old and upward who have murmured against me, you will by no means enter into the land where I swore to settle you. The only exceptions are Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. But I will bring your little ones, whom you said would become victims of war, and they will enjoy the land that you have despised. But as for you, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness, and your children will wander in the desert for forty years and suffer for your unfaithfulness until your dead bodies lie finished in the wilderness. According to the number of the days that you have investigated this land, forty days, one day for a year, you will suffer for your iniquities. Forty years and you will know what it means to thwart me. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do so to all this evil congregation that is gathered together against me in this wilderness. They will be finished and there they will die. So the people, he brought them to the promised land. He said, send in a contingent to investigate and check out how awesome it is. And they got back and only two of the uh, the 12 representatives, two people said, this is awesome. We got to move in and set up home we're home this is what god's given to us let's go take it and 10 of the 12 said no we can't do it there's giant people who will kill us we're we're just we're we won't be able to stand up against them we don't trust god enough to go in and take our home and so god was finally sick of it he'd he'd done everything for him and he's finally sick of it and he said you know what you were in there for 40 days looking around you're going to spend 40 days wandering around the desert until you're all dead because i'm sick of you I'm going to bring your children in. Your children will be able to go in and take up the land that you refuse to have faith enough to take up. And I don't know what else God could have done to try to convince those people. That He was looking out for their best interests. He was caring for their every need. If God makes a promise, you would, you would think only a moron wouldn't take Him at His word because he's, he's God. I mean, He's done all these things. But there were millions of people who walked out of Egypt with Moses and saw all these miracles. And it's like all those people trusted popular opinion more than the, than the miracles of God. And, and, and it's an ongoing problem today that there are millions of people, there are apparently a lot more morons in the world today who refuse to accept the truth of God. And, and we're warned in Hebrews not to go down the same path as the Israelites who came out of Egypt, who, to, to, you know, who escaped slavery Physical slavery only to die of, as slaves of their own sin and unbelief. Hebrews 3 at verse 7, this is a, a kind of an exposition on Psalm 95. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, oh, that today you would listen as God speaks. Do not harden your hearts in rebellion in the day of testing in the wilderness. Therefore, or there your fathers tested me and tried me and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I became provoked at that generation and said, their hearts are always wondering and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my anger, they will never enter my rest. So that's the quote from Psalm 95 in Hebrews. 
And it's and he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that forsakes the living God. But exhort one another each day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may become hardened by sin's deception. For we have become partners with Christ, if in fact we hold to our initial confidence firm until the end. So even supernatural miracles of God are not always enough to turn people's hearts and minds around. It's tempting to think that, that if you could you know, walk through a hospital and heal every person, whatever they were suffering, that, you know, and that all the patients were healed and that all the doctors and nurses saw it and, and, and all the guests who were visiting them witnessed it, that that would start a major revival. You know, you'd think an event like that would just send the whole world worshiping God. But the, the, the truth is people continue to trade the truth for a lie regardless of the evidence. Too many times we have seen over and over again how hard-hearted people just refuse to accept the truth. They, they, they go like this. I don't want to see it. I don't want to believe it. I want to stay in my sin and I am not going to turn around. They, 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 they want the truth to be removed and replace it with the lie. They prefer sin to salvation and so they continue living in sin. The truth is, technically, everybody believes in God. Technically, everybody knows that God exists. He has written eternity on our hearts. Our own consciences tell us. They cry out the law of God to us. So proving that God exists, in a way, is is really kind of pointless. Trying to prove God's existence. It's like trying to prove that you exist. You exist. You know it. We can see it. I mean, it's it's there. It's it's even though the evidence is undeniable, there are still people who choose to deny the reality of God. So what really matters is if we choose to trust. If we choose to trust in God or not. If we choose to accept the evidence or not. Not just to trust that Jesus was a, a person in history, but to trust Him to the point that you do what He tells you to do. That, that you make the choice to end your sinful lifestyle, that you humble yourself in repentance, that you choose to walk in righteousness each day, you know, and, and that every day that's called today, like Hebrews says, as long as it's called today, you live for God. When it's not called today anymore, then you can stop living for God. But as far as I know, every day that's come, we call it today, so we keep living for God. You just trust God today. Like we were talking about earlier, you don't worry about tomorrow. You just worry about today. You live for the moment. You live for God right now, and God will take care of you. Put your confidence in Jesus instead of your own flesh. Don't worry about the world. You put your trust in Jesus. You begin each day anew in His mercies. You, you Thanks to His atoning work on the cross, where He died to put an end to sin's control over people, you can say, I'm trusting in God. I'm walking forward in God. I'm going to take the promised land, not because I'm, uh, I'm worried about the, the enemies in front of me, but because I trust that when God tells me I can do something, I can do it. doesn't matter what the world says. As long as God says so, that's what I'm going to do. You trust in His gift of grace and accept the forgiveness that He offers to all who truly believe that you trust that you really are forgiven. When He says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. When He says you can live righteous, you live righteous. When He says you go out and you preach the Gospel, you preach the Gospel. When He says you can be healed, you can be healed. When God says it, you can trust it. You, you commit your life with the same kind of passion that He committed to you. That He continues to commit to you if you're willing to accept it. You hold on to Jesus like your life depends on it because it does. 
And He will never let go. If you trust in God and to hold on to Him and to follow Him, He will never let you go. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. But it doesn't help just to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is standing on your doorstep. You have to let Him in. You have to trust His guidance enough to to follow it. You have to, to follow where He leads. God shows up. He showed up at the front door of the world as a baby born in a manger. And He knocked at the door of the world. And that baby grew up and He did amazing things in the world. And the world saw His miracles. And they saw His healings. And they heard His teaching. And the world saw Him killed. And the world saw Him resurrected. I mean, there's lots of evidence of this in historical documents that outweigh any historical documents that we've ever had. There's more scriptural evidence than any other historical document. Yet we believe our history. When you grow up and you go to school, you believe about the Phoenicians and the Babylonians and the, you know, the Hittites and all those people that we read about in history. You believe that. So why don't you believe in Jesus Christ who has more historical documentation about His life, death, and resurrection than any other event in history ever? Believe in Jesus because the evidence is there. There are so many skeptics who refuse to acknowledge Christ. They discount the miracles. They deny the prophecy. They doubt His death and resurrection. Not because there's a lack of evidence. There's a a plethora of evidence for Christ's life and His miraculous resurrection. And, And here's the good news. There are many people who are willing to accept it. And I know a lot of you have accepted that truth. If you're willing to share Jesus with people, there's a lot of people who are willing to accept that truth and change their lives because you said, You need to change. Jesus wants you to change. You need to change. Jesus wants to use you to change people's lives. He wants you to stay. He said, go and tell the world. Preach to them. And there's a lot of people that if you do what you've been commanded to do, they will change their lives. They will change their hearts and they'll change their minds and they will, they will understand what it's like to live for, to be, to be transformed from the inside out. They will understand that miracle. That you change completely, that, that nobody really understands it who hasn't gone through it because it's, it's unbelievable unless you've actually experienced it. And they will be willing to make that change if you are willing to go and share the good news with them. And there's a lot of people who are willing if you just talk to them. So, so always remember the Great Commission to go and make disciples of the world. Tell people the reasons for the hope within you. Explain why you are the way you are and what God has done for you. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Fight for it. And don't forget, it's, it's your job to take the Gospel to the world. Yes, it's your job to preach, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convert. It's the Holy Spirit's job to transform. the. You, you just have to take the message to Him. It's God who actually puts it into effect. So, so don't worry about that. You, you just worry about taking the message and delivering it and and... and and let God do the transformation in people's lives, including your own. So trust in God as He works in and through you. Ultimately, everybody will give credit to God for being God. Romans 14.10 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to Me and every tongue will give praise to God. Therefore, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So everybody is going to acknowledge God. The trick is to get people to bow their knees before Judgment Day so they have a chance to actually have a transformed life and be forgiven and and come to God innocent instead of guilty. 
So, so if you haven't submitted your own life to Jesus Christ yet, today is a good day to connect yourself to the way, the truth, and the life and to find that restoration and that forgiveness and that holiness and to live a whole new life. And if you have had that transformation, today is a good day to go out and share it with somebody else. Because the world is crying out, Jesus. So you be as smart as the rocks and the trees and be willing to preach to every creature. And let's transform this world and see what God can do when you're willing to obey Him. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that You are willing to use us. That We all know we've messed up. We all know we've turned our backs on You. We all know we've rebelled and rejected You in our past. But You were willing to transform each and every one of us. And You are willing to transform each and every one of us. And we're so grateful that You are so kind and so merciful, and so forgiving. But you also know, we know, God, we know you don't put up with us forever. That if we refuse to change, that we will face our just deserts. That we will face judgment if we refuse to repent. So God, I pray that you would help us to remember that. To take your message to the world. To help other people come to the point of repentance and forgiveness and transform lives. Help us, God. Help us to see the truth. Help us to share the truth. Help us to live for You. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.